0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on Earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
0: This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Keeper, and I'm very pleased to welcome back the wonderful Vicki Bond. She is the president of the Humane League, a nonprofit organization that works to end the abuse of animals raised for food. She's also a certified veterinarian and animal welfare scientist who has spent more than a decade advocating for animals. Uh, Vicki, welcome back, and thank you so much for joining me again. I'm really excited to talk about eggs. High on everyone's list right now, I know. Hi Katie. Yes, thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Um I appreciate your assistant who reminds me of your existence on a regular basis. I wish more people would do that actually. <laughs> because Wednesday happens every week and I need a guest every week. <laughs> it's it's a, the ba- the struggle is real, girl. It is real. Anyway, let's remind people first of all what is the Humane League? Um just so people don't know that it's not the same thing as the Humane Society or, you know, some other humane sounding organization?
2: Yes, great question. So yes, we work to end the abuse of animals raised for food. And what that means is we get companies to commit to higher welfare standards in their supply chains. So asking companies to end cages for laying hens, improving the welfare of chickens raised for meat, for instance, um, and just getting companies to commit to these higher welfare standards
0: aha uh-huh. And that's really the only thing. You really basically work directly with companies. And do you what do you do? Approach their stockholders or shareholders or their boards? Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, it's really important. We work on institutional change because we can see we can make a bigger impact by getting these companies that hold so much power to make change in their supply chain. And we do that in a number of ways. Um, We will meet with companies, meet with executives, talk to them about the issues of animal welfare um, and why they should make these changes, why their consumers care about this. Um, And some of those companies will... um, be on board and understand that this is an important issue that the consumers care about and others will um, decide that this might be something they don't wish to invest their time or money in. And it's those companies that we will then um, move on to campaigning and making the public aware about the cruelty within their supply chains.
1: <laughs>
0: public humiliation. <laughs> Who doesn't love that? <laughs> (laughs) I should not make light of this, but I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. It's public humiliation, which is forever and always going to be a powerful, a very powerful weapon to use against anyone, no matter how shameless, with the possible exception of Donald J. Trump. But (laughs) we don't need to discuss him in any way. So this, today we're going to talk about your campaign to improve the animal welfare standards for laying hens. Um, So I don't know if most people realize that um, the majority of egg production occurs in battery cages. Can you talk about what those are and what that means? Yeah.
2: So battery cages are tiny cages that have about four or five hens in there. Um, These birds sit on these wire floor for their entire life, which is about a year and a half. And they basically can't even spread their wings. So if you think about birds that you see outside, chickens they originate from domesticated jungle fowl, which is no different really from any other birds. And they want to do things like peck at the ground for food and perch up at at night to feel safe and spread their wings and flap around and dust bathe and lay in the sun. Um, All the things, you know, just be able to move, for instance. But these birds are compacted into these tiny cages. They're unable to really move around. They suffer from really debilitating um, illnesses. As a consequence, they often get osteoporosis because their bones become so weak. Um, And so we see that these birds suffer from a range of ail- ailments. Um, and the Welfare Footprint Project did a did a study and found that they suffer from 7,000 hours of pain, ranging from annoying to debilitating. And I did the maths. That means between now and Thanksgiving, basically, these birds will be suffering from annoying to very debilitating um, pain being in these cages.
0: And is that b- largely because of the impact of being on a wire floor? Or is it the clipping of the beak, which is another practice that it's yeah. <laughs> uh, very common, and uh, when you when you have hens peck, packed into a small space, and the space, Vicky, did not they recently, like within the last decade, didn't they expand the size of the battery cage? Because I remember it was like twelve by twelve or something, and so now it is, it's marginally larger.
2: Yeah, it's the size of an iPad now. It, it really is. Oh, come Marginal on, is the right word. We're talking the size of an iPad these birds have, um, and. They really do suffer because they can't move. Their bones yeah. become weak. You need to move around to have strong bones, and they don't do that, so they become much weaker. And that's how they can get these conditions. And you're right; they do beak trimming. Be- they cut the end of the tip of the beak off. Um, because these birds are in these confined conditions, they get super bored, and they start having what's called stereotypy behavior, where they start pecking at each other, and they can even peck each other to death. And so, yeah. rather than give these birds more space, give them the environment they need to. to To enjoy life,
0: they instead take take part of the beak off, so that they can't do this behavior. You know what surprises me about this is that I would think that having an animal be as miserable as these creatures certainly are, that that would have an impact on how many eggs they're able to produce. Is does that not this? These conditions do not impact their ability to produce eggs. They're still pumping them out as fast as they normally would. These birds have been bred very specifically to lay a lot
2: of eggs. So typically, a normal chicken, I say normal, one you would find in the wild, right. would, would would lay a clutch of eggs. So they lay like 12 eggs over a period of a couple of weeks, and that's a clutch. Um, instead, these birds lay six eggs a week. So basically, six days of a week, they're laying eggs. And their body, their genetics is such, they just, they produce eggs over everything else. Their body will choose to produce an egg over its own own being. That's why they have these uh, physiological issues, because the body is um, bred, being bred to do this, to lay these eggs. So there is, there is an element of there is a high mortality and those mm-hmm. kind of things in these really um, horrendous conditions. But overall, these birds just lay eggs
0: because their body has been made to do that. And, and that is the miracle of genetics, people. Animal sciences, genetics—it's fascinating what you can manipulate an animal's body into doing uh, through the crossbreeding and whatever else. I mean, it's not GMO, which you know is a whole different technology, but just hybridization can produce some really astonishing results. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about. Uh, well, first, let's go through like, what what is the percentage of chickens in the United States that live in battery cages. Cause didn't California, I wanted to bring this up and maybe I did, and I've forgotten, but California wrote a proposition I think it was proposition two, wasn't it about 10 or 12 years ago. I remember when I first started doing the show that this happened and California said, we're not going to buy any eggs from hens that live in battery cages. And they targeted w- one particular um, company in Iowa. I think it was. And, um, And it created a huge hullabaloo. And they ended up cutting a deal with United Egg Producers. Do you remember this whole story? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so what you're talking about is Prop 12, actually. Oh, Prop 12, It may, sorry. Be, it
2: may have been called Prop. It was, a, I think, it was Prop 8 before, and then it became Prop 12. Anyway, regardless, um, what you're talking about is, um, yes, in California there is a ban on the sale and production of um, eggs that come from hens in, in battery cages. Um, they're not the only state that has this. There are t- There's 10 states in total now that have this um, form of, of legislation uh-huh. um, with varying degrees, varying different years of when this is going to be in, implemented.
1: But oh, yes, I see. so here in
2: California, that came into, into fruition now, um, last year. And so um, in California, there there is not meant to be any battery cages, and there's not meant to be any sale of, of eggs from hens that have been reared in battery cages that may right. be in places like Iowa, as you mentioned. Um, but in terms of the US as a whole, uh, two thirds uh, are still confined in battery cages. That is way too high, but it's a massive improvement on, on where we were before, before we started this work back um, back sort of nearly 10 years ago now, there was mm-hmm. some kind of 5%, um, or 95% of the birds were in cages still. Um, and we're talking uh, now that we have 100 million birds out of cages every year. Um, wow. And it's thanks to this legislation, it's thanks to companies, some companies, <laughs> uh, moving to going cage-free. Um, and that's why we're doing our expose, which is to highlight the companies
0: that have made these promises but are relinquishing on what they said they would do. Right. Well, so let's talk a little bit about, so your campaign has targeted uh, especially and specifically uh, companies that buy a lot of eggs. Um, and some of them, as you just pointed out, have actually um come along for the ride and they are now only buying uh, from eggs that are not, from hens that are not in battery cages or cage free. We're going to talk about those labels in a minute too. Um, So, so who are the best known companies who are actually walking the walk?
2: Well, some of the um, retailers you may have heard of like Walgreens and CVS, Um, they actually committed to go by 2025 and brought that forward and Came in at cage-free at the beginning of this year, which is fantastic.
0: That is Um, amazing.
2: Yeah, other companies like Arby's, Taco Bell, Sprouts. um, We've also got some with uh, companies with partial commitments that are moving in the right direction, like Kraft Heinz. Compass Group, a massive food service company uh, that supplies like, you know, hospitals and other places, yep. General Mills, Target. So we have some big names that are making progress or have actually got there already. Right. Um, and then unfortunately, we have a number of laggards that are yet to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's name and shame them. So who, are the pe- <laughs> who are the people who said they were going to go cage free and basically signed a commitment of some sort with you? Right. And then have yet to implement that type of purchasing. Let's and do they do they tell you why they have failed to change their policy?
2: Um, yes. Well, let me give you a great example, Wendy's, which I think everyone great. has heard of in the whole of the US. I imagine, of course. So yeah, they really made a lot of song and dance that they were going to go 100% cage free by 2020. Really. And. It's way past 2020. They haven't done that. Instead, what they've done is they've said that there was technically uh, this commitment was about their breakfasts that they serve. Um, But we know that they serve breakfasts in over 5,800 locations um, and that those that is, they're only at 6% of their egg supply chain today that is at cage free. So it's it's clearly not true. Right. <laughs> right. This is what's happening. They haven't gone hundred percent cage free. Um, and instead, I mean, that the way we calculate that Wendy's probably accounts for like 3 million laying hens in the U
0: S right. Being in battery cages because they haven't followed through on this commitment. That's amazing. Now, how do you monitor, for, like, how do you, ascertain that when a company like Wendy's says they're going to do that, um, what is the mechanism for, you know, seeing whether or not they actually have done it? It's not, I can't imagine that they issue you a report and give you the name of their vendor to check with, right? <laughs> I mean, I some mean companies how do, you do know? But
2: <laughs> the, the reality is we, um, expect companies to, um, give public information to their consumers, particularly right. when they make these kind of commitments, when they talk about welfare in their supply chain. And so we would expect to see things on their website. And they've actually removed that cage free commitment from their website, which says an awful lot. Yeah, it does. So <laughs> that's what we would expect to see. We have some companies that are working on it and telling us our, their progress and um, beginning to put it out publicly. We want to see all those companies publicly showing where they are so that consumers are aware like there are some companies that have not made any progress on this and yet they still look you know people might think having heard they're cage free or they're going cage free that they're actually actually doing it but they're not
0: right well let me ask you this and then we're going to talk about labels what does it cost like say you're a company that has i don't know 10,000 laying hens does that sound about right like what is the normal size of a in a battery egg. cage, you're talking yeah. more like a million laying hens. Really? In one, you know, one company will own one giant facility with a million hens in it.
2: I mean, the sheds I have been in, barns, you call them barns, I call them sheds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the barns that you, I've been in, um, you go in and they, quite literally, you go in and there'll be two um, floors. And in between that, because the ceilings are so high, mm-hmm. uh, you've got like eight rows of cages Mm-hmm. And then those cages go all the way to the back. And so the way that they you go along like platforms to be able to see into the cages. Um, and so you can fit millions of birds into into a in a, mm. a large
0: barn. So um, yeah. when we go when we talk about going cage free, and we're gonna identify what that means, but that so that infrastructure of all those cages would go away. Would they still be able to house as many chickens without the cages?
2: Uh, no, they, they, you would need, they need to create new sheds. There is, there is a limit to how much space and it's, mm-hmm. and it's important that the birds do have adequate squa- space in these barns. Right. Um, they need, you know, you can't just pack as many in, um, assuming that it's going to be okay. These birds need to have space so that they're able to exhibit their natural
0: behaviors and, and mm-hmm. not feel like they're on top of each other. Right. Right. Very interesting. I mean, cause for instance, cattle, there's a stocking density you know it's like a cow has to have yes. you know x number of feet by yeah. x number of feet and i think i don't think they really pay that much attention to that with pigs which is weird because they're so smart um they really don't like being crowded but you know whatever yeah. um uh so the, so you're saying that the stocking density basically is not a number that would give any relief to laying hens there's no like Obviously not with battery cages, right? So, well,
2: battery cages absolutely not. I mean, we have in in Europe there are regulations on how much space minimum space birds should have. Right. Unfortunately, the U.S. doesn't have any
0: regulations. I know it's weird. We completely cut chickens out of the animal welfare regulations mm-hmm. of this country. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, there I'm are thinking. there are no animal welfare regulations so, yeah. for how to raise chickens. And that's right. why there's so many abuses with this. All right, let's let's take a very short break. And we'll come right back with Vicki Bond from the Humane League. We're going to talk more about all the labeling that goes along with selling an egg. So stay tuned for that.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our Heritage and Traditions, Master Cheesemaker Program, and the American Propensity for Innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, Get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
0: Okay, so... We are talking eggs, and one of the things that I see in the grocery store are various different types of labels. There's the cage-free, which is largely what we're talking about. Then there's free-range. Then there's pasture-raised. Can you define these different categories for people so they know what they're buying in case you know, they haven't gone on a website to look at what that means? <laughs> Yeah, totally. So cage free means literally that the birds have
2: not been in a cage in their life. Uh, Free range is a step up from that. So this means that they have um, some access to some form of outdoor space. But because there, again, there aren't regulations in the U.S. to to say what that should be. Again, mm-hmm. in Europe, it's uh, four meters squared. I don't actually know what that is in feet. I'm sorry, it's not very helpful. That's all right. So People can things, figure it. But anyway, out. Uh, per hen, um, so they end up having acres to roam, basically. Um, right we don't have that here. Um, and so what that means is that can vary dependent on the label as to how much space they'll get. Um, Mm -hmm. so sometimes it might mean that the outdoor space is very small. Only a few hens can actually get outdoors and there's no real minimum how long those birds can be outside. So again, in Europe, it's six hours a day, but here there isn't that regulation. So really looking for certifications on top of that, that, you know, to be good, like gap, um, Global Animal Partnership, right. Those labels. That, that label particularly has, um,
0: has uh, restrictions on like minimum sm- space and things. Although GAP has come under a lot of fire lately. There's another organization called Farm Forward or something like that that I've yes. interviewed a couple of times about how these, you know, GAP certifications wind up actually being sort of toothless and, um, and they're not doing what they're saying. And this particular organization has now severed their ties with the GAP um, powers that be. I mean, it's, it's quite a sad comment on how these, um, organizations can be corrupted. Um, but nevertheless, it's better to have them not have them. Right. So you yeah. have cage free where they can go outside maybe, but basically no. they're in big sheds.
2: So cage, cage free is typically, if it says cage free, it means it's likely in a large shed barn, um, and probably don't have access. It does Okay. And, and then the, free range has out, access to outdoors. And then there's pasture raised. Thank you. And then pasture raised, ra- excuse me, pasture raised eggs generally come from hens who also spend like many, out, many hours outdoors. Um, and they tend to have, um, like the pasture tends to have vegetation on it. They tend to have a lower stocking density. So those birds have more space per hen. Yeah. They have these nest boxes and perches. Um, and typically they are, won't have um, beak trimming or any forced molting as well.
0: Right. Oh, we didn't even talk about forced molting. <laughs> There's a lot. Um, <laughs> should we take a quick moment to explain forced molting? Why is that bad? Oh, it's horrific. Really? I mean, I I had parakeets and I know my parakeets were never happy when they were molting.
2: Yeah, so forced molting is that. It's to force these birds. So as we talked about, they... They are, these birds just lay eggs as a consequence to everything else. Um, um, but at some point, they will go through a season where their body's like, okay, I'm going to calm down in egg laying to some degree. This is normally around about a year of age. Um, and I'm going to lay less eggs. But of course, this is, they're, they're treated as production. Um, and therefore, to make sure that they increase their egg laying um, amount back up again, uh, to force a molt they um, they take away their water and their food, so they basically completely starve them. Oh and my what that It is shoves them into thinking that they basically think, "Oh my goodness, it's winter. I stop laying because there's no light, there's no food, there's very little water." Um, and they do this for a, a few weeks. These birds are, 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 this happens to these birds. And then when they then give them the water and food and up the lighting more, these birds then come back and start laying nearly as many eggs as they were doing, you know, at the beginning of their life. Right. Woo. Um, and so it's a way to elongate their production life. Um, mm-hmm. and it's extremely cruel. It's uh, banned uh, in Europe, um, So (laughs) yeah, it's a horrendous practice and it's typically done in cage systems. Um, It's much harder to do in cage-free systems because these birds are under so much stress um, that they then exhibit other behaviors that are really negative to the birds and impact the flock and actually outweigh the benefits of making these birds lay more eggs.
0: Wow, that's incredible. All right, so what about organic? If you're labeled organic, does that mean that your egg had a better, your hen had a better life? In the US,
2: no, yeah. unfortunately not. Um, it doesn't really pertain to any welfare standards. It's much more to do with the diet that these birds are having rather than actually improvement in welfare standards. But if anyone in, living in Europe or hearing this from Europe or from Europe, uh, that is different because there are a lot of regulations in Europe for organic um, that also include animal
0: welfare. But unfortunately, right, right. So, so when we see labels like American Welfare Approved or Certified Humane or even GAP, um, those are probably kind of hard to get. Uh, especially at this level with poultry. Um, Although why I say that, I don't know. Uh, But is that, that's, you feel like those labels are doing what they say they're doing and it's having the impact that it's supposed to.
2: There's certainly an improvement on no label for sure.
0: Right. Um, Because these birds then have some
2: form, there's some form of restriction on minimum standards. Um, And, but as I said, like this varies between, so gap, five star for instance is better than gap one star in terms of what these birds get um and the same with awa and certified humane are imp- there's improvements but do they go far enough not necessarily
0: when, so when an ad, when 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 a producer gets a, a certification like awa or certified humane what, what do they have to do to get that certification they have to have they have to demonstrate cage free or they demonstrate free range or they demonstrate pasture raised i mean is that Are those the criteria that they have to achieve?
2: Yeah, there is a criteria. So AWA means the chickens are cage-free. They have a certain designated amount of space and enrichments. They will have outdoor access and natural light. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also prohibits molting. Certified Humane covers pretty much the same except... um, the hens will only have outdoor access if it's labelled free range. So if it's not, then there's no kind of natural light requirement under that certification. Mm. And um, it, and and with all labels, you know, on farm audits happen,
0: but not to all farms every year. So the right.
2: auditing is is different between different labels as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's where Gap, I think, got into trouble was they weren't auditing their farms enough, and so it was discovered that some of the farms that had gotten Gap certification. Weren't actually in fact following their protocols, uh, which speaks to the fact that you need to fund those organizations more so that they do have that on the farm inspection on a regular basis. So to go back to like transitioning from battery to cage for your free range, like I, I'm wondering like what what is the economic impact for a producer? I mean, you said if you take the cages away, they have to have more sheds, more barns, so that's quite a significant cost um and if you don't do that of course you don't have as many hands you don't make as much money so how how do we incentivize producers um to make that transition themselves what if they don't have the space or you know i'm just playing a little devil's advocate here but, <laughs> but you know what if <laughs> like what what about the poor human <laughs> he's trying to make a living uh
2: typically uh there is enough space to be able to put these i mean there is a lot of space typically on farms here in the U.S. So these sheds don't have to be. Perhaps we're imagining them to be absolutely ginormous. They're not that much bigger. Um, and the reality is, these this shift needs to happen. Legislation is coming in in ten different states, and we're we're getting more legislation each year. It's right. going to be either the producers decide to um, move forward and move into the future, or unfortunately. Choose a different profession because the reality is this <laughs> needs to happen. Uh, it's it's not sustainable to have these systems and to cause this much cruelty um, simply for the price of you know a cheap egg that that these companies are making a lot of profit off.
0: Well, not even a cheap egg anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that yeah. in a minute. But so, what do you what what kind of leverage do you bring to companies to encourage them to transition to cage free or better? Like, how do you guys? Approach them. Let's hear what your you know what's your pitch. How do you say? How do you say? Yo, I need you to spend some money and potentially make less money in order to have better welfare standards. I mean, in a culture like ours, it's a great
2: question. We will approach companies and say, "What is happening with your supply chain? Uh, if we're talking eggs, can you tell us um, what kind of systems you're using? Some of these companies won't even know that." Um, really, oh, really? They, they will have so little information, um, and you will talk to executives that have never seen what a hen looks like in a cage. In fact, right. most people. And so, when you show them this, they often are horrified. It's very hard to find a person to look at a, a hen in a battery cage and think that's acceptable thing to do. Really? Um, and so, there is often just being informed about it can make a difference, mm. and showing them the public's reaction to this, because at the end of the day, we are a campaigning organisation. We will. Uh, you know, alert the public to how these birds are kept and how these companies are permitting it within their supply chain so that they can make more profit. And companies then quickly realize (laughs) that it's not not, um, good for them to continue like this, knowing that actually there is a a minimum standard that people expect. And when you ask the general public, do you think this is where your eggs come from? They are horrified and don't think that's where they're coming from. And yet, That is the vast majority of of systems here in the U.S.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Well, we are a nation where uh, profit over people is our mantra. So, you know, that extends to animals, too, like, you know, and even the guys who are producing these things. So you would think, though, because isn't it true that most of these um, sort of earthy, crunchy labels, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but, um, you know, like the certified, humane, animal welfare approved, cage-free, blah, blah, blah don't they charge a higher price point for eggs that are produced under those systems
2: if there is a price in there it's often because they do things that other systems aren't doing you know you don't if there's no auditing how do you know what these the product you're buying from is coming from like auditing yeah. is important and so that comes with a cost of course but it's worth noting that like retailers for instance they really take advantage of higher welfare. They take advantage by putting the price up because they know people will pay more because it's higher welfare, even though the cost is actually not nearly as increased as it may appear on the, by the cost difference they put the eggs. Wow.
0: Very interesting, Vicky. Well, so let's talk about, (laughs) I mean, it's the subject on everybody's mind, right? Um, Eggs are insanely expensive right now. Mm -hmm. And, From what I'm reading, it's not because of avian flu in 2021, Mm. Um, because new flocks uh, appear about every, what is it, about every six to eight weeks, there's a whole new flock of hens laying. Takes very little time for a hen to grow to maturity, right? So, I mean, the reality is it
2: is avian influenza, predominantly, but it's not just that. So you've got a number of things that are compounding it. So even influenza is wiping out millions of birds. And just to be clear, not only is it wiping out birds, but the the method that is being used to kill these birds is to do ventilation shutdown, which is absolutely horrific means the birds basically overheat and suffocate and it can take hours for these birds to die. But Ooh. that's another subject because we're talking about the price. But <laughs> the we can um, talk about that too. Yeah. Avian influenza uh is impacting there's no doubt. You know, if if you have a shed of birds and you have to um uh euthanize 50,000 of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, however many it might be or like half a million of these birds right. because if one bird is found to have avian influenza they have to kill all of them they don't just yes. kill the one bird they kill the whole shed of birds yep then you've then got to clean that shed you've then got to wait for i mean birds take 18 weeks to get to, to maturity of actually laying so it's not oh. it's, it's 18 weeks when they start actually laying so you've got that period of time where you've got to get mm-hmm. and bear in mind there, those other chicks that were already sitting there waiting to become laying hens were already earmarked for another shed so you've got you've got to create more chicks than was expected right that takes time and mm-hmm. is there enough locations or growers to be able to do that probably not because we don't have the growing sheds growing sheds is where the chicks that pull I see. You know, a grown. We won't have those because they're already, like I said, earmarked to to go to other sheds. So there is definitely a supply chain issue. There is definitely an issue of um, simply not having the same uh, amount of eggs being produced because we don't have the same amount of laying hens. But there's also another thing, which is the grain, the cost of grain. Everything is in fluctuation right now because of the war in the Ukraine yes. um, and Russia. That has impacted severely prices of grain. And food normally accounts, I, I don't know if this is exactly right for laying ends, but typically around 60% of cost is like the grain that these, these birds consume. Mm-hmm. And so if that price goes up, that also causes an impact. So you've got these two compounding factors. Mm-hmm. Then you've also got that there are there is a that companies do want cage free and so there's a demand for cage free but if producers haven't taken the step to going cage free yet that obviously that makes that a more a higher commodity so right. we've seen this before in the past we haven't not with the wars per se but but we've seen where there's been this impact of like we want cage free eggs where's mm. the supply and then they become like worth more so to speak right but, but the other reality is that that these companies, particularly retailers, will often put a higher price on these eggs just simply because they know people will pay for them. So then, if they're going to make the costs go up, it's probably not going to be the caged eggs, but the you know the cage-free ones. They may also.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So there's a number of things happening, but definitely avian influenza and the grain costs are are significantly making the cost of all eggs go up.
0: Well, thank you very much for that, because you know, I I am a conspiracy theorist by trade. And uh, I see a conspiracy under every rock. (laughs) (laughs) And I I certainly saw one under the, I mean, the escalation in price has just been breathtaking. But I had not factored in the cost of grain. And chickens are largely fed on corn. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. And soy sometimes.
2: And and soy. Yeah.
0: So um, and uh, and even sunflower seeds, I think, are part of chicken. And even fish, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Well, in Britain, especially. Oh, my God. People are insane with the fish meal. Aye, aye, aye. I'll never forget making a chicken stock in England when I was in 1976 when I was a young person. And I had roasted a chicken, and then I put the bones in the water and boiled the stock. And did it smell like chicken? No, it smelled like fish, mm-hmm. which I hate. So... <laughs> I was like, oh my God, never did that again. I mean, I just thought that was the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. I make chicken stock every week. So I, I really don't want that fish thing happening. <laughs> anyway, uh, so where do you see, where do you see this heading? I mean, you said it's not sustainable. I I will respectfully disagree with you only because I know uh what people are like, which is they want cheap food. And uh, and companies that are, you know, have to answer to shareholders want maximum profits. So is it sustainable to remain a battery caged if that's more economic for the producer? I suspect yes, Uh, they will continue to uh, do that. But you seem to think that they will not be able to do that. uh, Ultimately, what makes you feel that way?
2: Ultimately, they, you know, when people are shown, when people learn what a cage is for a hen, they do not want it. Like, yeah. you know, nine out of 10 people will say, absolutely not. Um, and we've seen, you know, the avian influenza and the grain thing is is somewhat challenging in the sense that it's an unknown. And avian influenza continues to get worse. And so this issue may get worse because, as I mentioned, the supply issues that go with that. Right. The reality is we cannot as a society stand by and use these systems. It, it cannot be that this is an acceptable way for us to create food, that there's so much cruelty in these eggs. These birds suffer so much as a consequence of it, that this is what we deem to be acceptable. And when consumers are take to the ballot and sign off on these on these pieces of legislation, they sign off on saying, no, I don't want this. This has to go. So I am really hopeful for the future that that. We, we as a society will see that we should not be treating animals in this way, and there has to be another way. And there is another way, and others, other companies are
0: doing it. And other countries are doing it. Yep. I mean, and successfully. And yep. the egg producers haven't gone out of business. Exactly. Well, uh, let people know how they can uh, support your campaign and learn more about the other work that you're doing. What, 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 what do they need to look at? Is well, there a newsletter they can the report, sign up for?
2: Yeah, thank you. If you want to check out the report, you can go to cage-free eggpose, so egg as in Um, And you can check out our reports. You can go to our website, thehumaneleague.org. And there you can get involved. You can join our Fast Action Network, which will give you alerts as to the campaigns we're running and how you can get involved. Um, you can also donate to us. That's also wonderful to help us move this quicker um, and move forward.
0: Right, right. It's all about the legislation, isn't it, Vicki? Yes. I really say
2: legislation is the end piece. The companies need to move forward. They're doing it. And then legislation comes in and just make sure for any of those smaller companies that we've not got to, because we head for the major companies, the biggest impact, um, they also have to move. And then everyone has a level playing
0: field to start with. There you go. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. People pay attention to what you're buying Um, it's always good to support the people who are trying to do the right thing. So um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks to my sponsor, as always. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now. What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.